Yo, what's good, fellas, man? Welcome to Sports Therapy. This is episode four. Hope y'all been enjoying everything up to this point. Today, we got a good show for y'all, man. We're going to be basically talking about sports cultures and specifically the difference between a winning sports culture and a losing one. You know what I'm saying? We're going to maybe mix in a couple of stories from our childhoods and kind of the cultures that we grew up in. And then we're also going to talk about our current NFL teams and the state of those cultures, you know, along with a whole bunch of other stuff kind of mixed into it. So kick back. I hope y'all enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to run it. You feel me? So before we jump into all of that, bro, like I'd be wanting to just ask you, dog, like, how is life, bro? Like, you know what I'm saying? How are you doing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Are you good? Yeah. No, I've been getting, I've been doing good. I mean, with with everything going on, I got to low points and it's been a struggle because a lot of isolation. I live in my own house with my girlfriend, obviously, but she travels for work. So I just here alone a lot of the time, but it's been going good. I've been working out more and I've been considering doing actually like retraining again for track just because like my redemption kind of thing. But you, you know what I wanted to tell you was, you know those uh, those supplements you told me about? Yeah, the lion's mane? Yeah, 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 I ended up getting them. I've been taking them for about a week. Okay, and notice anything? Yes, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend the other day and we were telling old childhood stories and I was remembering things that I hadn't thought of <laughs> in like 15 years. Bro, it was wild. Bro, like, and I, you know, I'll tell the audience about it. Um, <clears throat> lion's mane, bro. It's a, a mushroom extract. You can get it off Amazon for like eight bucks. It's not the illegal ones. It's, not the it's illegal like, ones. You know what I'm saying? It's perfectly legal. Again, you can buy it off Amazon for like eight dollars or something like that. Yes, um, sixty. You get two months worth. Yeah, sixty. You get sixty caps. We're not sponsored. So. Not sponsored. <laughs> We're not sponsored. Um, you know, but it was just something that we was talking about off, like outside of the podcast, and I was telling them. That like as far as like memory and cognitive function and just being a lot sharper and being able to kind of retrieve information that you know, like you know you know, but it's like where is it when you need it? You start bumbling in your conversation, you can't go get it on point. It's something that really helped me with that. I've probably been messing with it for like probably a cool month now, and uh, it's yeah, it, it came in clutch for me. So it's just some maybe I want to check it out, maybe I don't. Again, we ain't sponsored, so. <laughs> It's that was the you, perfect plug, though. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but, bro, it's pretty dope. Anyways, man, what's up with you? Man, I'm good, living life. Um, I've been working hella hard, bro. Yeah, like, you have. <laughs> like uh, you've been making money, man. I have, like I have, and I just kind of been grinding, like really the whole pandemic, and I haven't really taken no breaks. I haven't really said no to like. Anytime somebody has asked me to, yo, can you come on this show? Can you do this? I haven't really said no yeah. to anything. And uh, I'm finally starting to kind of feel the effects of that. So I'm going to probably take a week or so off soon. I'm not going to miss yeah. this. I'll, it'll be like yeah. after we record this until the next time it's time to record this. That'll be my break. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that definitely got to come up. But all in all, bro, I've been feeling great. I've been getting back in shape. I'm, uh, I feel physically like better than I felt in years, bro. Like That's at nice, least man. like four or five years, so wow, yeah, I feel real good, dog. Dude, it's crazy how it's just like a couple life changes and you can like be clicking yeah. more than like like it's like how do you not be that all the time? Well, just getting into bad habits. Man, like, I, that's dope. Man. I think it's a lot of simple stuff, bro. Like I, 
I found a, I finally found a diet that worked for me. Like I ain't it ain't nothing stringent. Literally, this all I do. I um my calorie I keep my calories at about twenty six to twenty seven hundred calories a day. You know what I'm saying? I'm two hundred forty five pounds, and I get two. I I shoot for like two hundred and forty grams of protein, but I don't get less than two hundred. Like I never even realized I was getting so little protein, bro. And I think that yeah. have made like such a big difference, just boosting that up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then of course I'm doing like all of the cognitive stuff. I'm doing the mindfulness stuff. I'm reading. I'm doing my little meditation. Like I'm doing yeah. everything at the same time. And uh, I, I think it made a big. And I'm doing it. I've done it consistently now, like every day for an extended period of time. And like I'm really starting to feel the effects of it. So yeah, it was up, man. Yeah, man. That's. You got you have like that grinders mentality. You just like doesn't matter what's going on. You just like doing you. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like I wanna. Uh, I got this thing, bro. Like I really just wanna get everything out. Of, like I wanna be the best version of me. Like so bad. Like I I have to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I feel uh I feel like I'm leaving stuff on the table or like I'm wasting gifts if I don't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that Dude, that's a, that's a too. killer mindset, man. That's I mean, you're talking about like winning culture. Like that's you're you built that for yourself, you know. Like being you, doing you, and uh, looking to improve. It's just it's just dope, man. I appreciate that, bro. Trying to get there. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there, bro. You'll definitely get there. I wish could you bring it. Up? I wish it was so it was as easy to get that same culture shift when it comes to sports. Like when it comes to big groups of people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like. For you, like, what do you think the the main differences are between a winning sports culture and a losing one? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is I've been a part of both, right? Yeah. I've been in the worst locker rooms that you could imagine. <laughs> okay. And I've been in some incredible locker rooms. I've been in ones where it's like everyone loves everybody. Everyone cares about everyone. It's like, how you doing, man? Like, you see the guy in the corner that you don't talk to often and he's, like, sad, like, you're like building that guy, but it's like everyone's just so good. Everyone feels like a leader. Hmm. And then I've been in other ones yeah. where it's like no one steps up and there's no accountability. There's no calling people out. And so you look at the differences. I think I think you can simplify it to a couple of things, okay. but there's just so many little things like daily decisions made that are the differences between something that's like great like let's say the Patriots and what they've been doing for so long yep. and something that's in instable, like the Browns, like just consistently can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Um, I was listening to some stuff prepar- like in preparation of this and it's just a lot of coaches and their, their mentality yeah. and there's different leadership traits that they expect from their players. And so I'm going to use an example from, from my high school. So they, my, my high school is known for basketball. Okay. And I didn't play varsity basketball, but I, I played football, right? I was a football and, ba- uh, and track kid. But my basketball program is like a state title every other year type of team. Okay. And if you remember from the last podcast, my football team barely made the playoffs once in 20 years. Right. The big difference was, for, from what I saw and, and the, what the culture they raised, is the basketball mindset was there was no stars. It's not about you. It's about the team. It's about, it's about like, Team ball, caring about your teammates, taking accountability, and looking to better yourself. I still believe there's some flaws in the system because it was very, there's no self-expression in that type of play style. But I've seen teams where it's so much about like 
stars play. It's like you see it in the NBA a lot. Yeah. You see a guy who's the star where when they're not playing that hard, they do well. But when it comes down to like uh, a big game, game planning, it's like the NBA finals or something. It's like you key in on guys and all of a sudden you don't have the other guys that can step up. That's not what a winning culture is. Yeah. You know, a winning culture is guys who are able to step up. It's like the Patriots right now. Yes, they have Cam, but they had so many guys who who stepped out like that weren't playing. Yeah. Um and it's and so many guys wrote them off. It's like, "Oh yeah, like they lost so many players and football is such a like it's like people forget that football is such a team sport that you go, "Oh, a couple key players here, they're not going to be good." Yeah. Yet they're rolling teams and they're in big games. And they they're one play away, one good goal line play away from being undefeated, and they look good. Yeah, facts. So you know, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, and I wouldn't mind getting into some some stories eventually. But I want to hear your initial thoughts on just the differences. <laughs> well, it was very interesting to me to hear you talk about what it was like in the winning locker rooms because I've never been a part of that. Like, wow, yeah, my I've never had group success that I could remember in my entire, like in my whole life. I can't remember having any type of sustained group success. So yeah. I've been in a lot of losing locker rooms and the way you described them, yeah, that's how, that's pretty much my locker room experience. Everybody is fragmented. Uh, everybody's mad about playing time and the star players, whoever like the best dude is on the team, they set the, they set the tone, but it's so easy for them to just kind of slack off because there's nobody there to hold them accountable. The team is so yeah. bad that you need this player so much. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't function without yeah. them. So you basically, you kind of let them just do whatever they want to do. And it's, it's two main things that I've seen throughout, you know, my whole life. I'm talking about middle school, all the way through high school, playing every sport except I didn't play baseball in high school. I stopped that yeah. in middle school because I didn't have time track, right? Um, and in college, same stuff. Two things, arrogance or apathy. Those are the two, like you can boil every losing sports program down to those two things. Either, either one of them said, either apathy, no ambition, like don't really, oh, we're good where we're at. Oh, we won four games yeah. this year. It's not too bad. You know, oh, we made the playoffs four years ago. Hey, we're doing all right, you know? And then arrogance, um, Adam Gaze, um, Patricia from uh, the Lions. You know what I'm saying? They actually got a big win yesterday. But like the people Overall. who feel like despite losing, their one way to do it is the only way to do it. And they're not willing to make adjustments. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the New York Knicks, like it's, it's a bunch of like those type of organizations that you see who have maybe had previous success at some point and they feel like whatever they did to have success right then they ain't never got to do nothing else just keep doing exactly what they did because it can't be their fault because they won before right it gotta yeah. be everybody else you know so the arrogance like those are two things you can kind of you can kind of point out my team cincinnati Bengals, apathy it's always been apathy right it's always been apathy right we marvin lewis coached our team for 10 years never won a playoff game if your team is, if your organization is not apathetic that can't happen. Like, it can't happen. You know what I'm saying? Okay, he made the playoffs five times. After the second or third time, you're like, yo, we're putting together a team that's good enough to get into the playoffs, but they're losing in the first round. A lot of times the teams that they should beat, 
So that's, that's got to come down to coaching, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the, the first person you should point at and make a change. But it took us forever to do it because, you know, we're, we have no ambition. Or at least that's been our, our history. All the Bengals fans are praying now that that's going to change, but we really don't know. We don't, there's been no real signs that that's going to change, at least at the pace that we would need it to change in order to be – truly competitive in the near future by near future i mean three to five years we know the potential mm -hmm. is there but we don't have a lot of confidence in the organization to actually get that potential out you know what i'm saying because they might be yeah. like well look, you know we're all right we straight we'll win five six games one of these years maybe we'll be in a playoff hunt hey let's throw a party like you know what i mean and that's weak and it's just um uh, it's hella annoying, man. It's hard to deal with, you know. But that, that's my yeah, experience so kind of with it. I, I wanted to talk about the Browns, but I, I want to talk first about the opposite of that, like going back to winning culture. Yeah. So I grew up in Boise, Idaho. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've stated that on the podcast or not, but I grew up in Boise. And that's a place where there's no sports teams professional-wise in the area. The closest we have is the Seattle Seahawks which is the states next to us and the Denver Broncos. Okay. So if you're going to choose a pro football team, that's what you do. But Boise is about Boise State, the football team. And what's so incredible about Boise State is they have, if you look it up, you can fact check this. In the last, since 2000, they have like the most winningest record in Division One football. Maybe North Dakota State's passed them now, but if you're talking Division One FBS, Boise State is either number one or right next to number one. And you look at that list because the argument against that would be, hey, they're, they play crappy teams. They play nobody. Well, if they play nobody, then why isn't there a bunch of other teams like that? Where's the, the MAC team that's supposed to be the, that good? Where's the CUSA? You know? Where's the other? And it's like Boise State's like the only one. They're the only one that have consistently been at that level. So I got to grow up watching some incredible football. It, it, it's just the coaches that were there, Chris Peterson is the biggest name. I don't, he's at Washington now, but I grew up going to games and it's like the, the culture they had established, man, it was, they, they would get a bunch of two star recruits, three star recruits, no, no name recruits. They weren't getting ESPN 300 guys. They were getting a bunch of guys who would come to this place and they would maximize their ability. So they weren't producing major NFLers. They weren't producing all this stuff. They had that Kellen Moore, six foot nobody. Go ahead. Any insight that you can give on how, how are they getting the most out of every player? Like that's the most fascinating thing to yeah. me. Like what are they doing? You know what I mean? Well, to get the best out of each player. Yeah. So I, from my personal experience, because – I don't have a lot of inside information. I know some people on the team, okay, but they have the best when it comes to people caring about everything outside of, of just the locker room. They have a whole coaching staff that is, and it's like, you say that about, no, there's college football teams where coaches are like trying to move on to the next job, but people go to Boise to coach and it, it's graduate coaches. They care so much. They want to keep building this program. The Sports Medicine Institute. ISMI, it's one of the best. I when I went to college to get and I had a rehab done for like my hamstring, it was so much worse 
than Boise State's medical facility. And that's just those, it's just like there's excellence in so many ways. And I think it starts with the athletic director and they established like a unique culture with back in the seventies and eighties when they got the blue field. It's like, there's no other teams that have a colored field other than Eastern Washington and college football. It's like, that's weird. But he started out with like, it, it just, it was like a weird dream that, that got surreal, that became real. And then over time, it was just they got the right guys in there. And it, it I, I can't go much deeper than that because I don't understand it. it. I just watched these guys come in, take a bunch of guys. And like Kellen Moore, what he was known for was throwing it to like 10 different receivers every game. Yeah. There was, there was, there was really good players on those teams, Doug Martin, Titus Young. But it came down to like throwing to like the third string tight end for a touchdown against Virginia Tech. You don't even know who it is. Yeah. And then you're like, what the heck? They go play some other team, and it's like the third string running back as a freshman. You're like, who's this guy? They just, it's like winning by committee, and they established that as in like, but 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 what's so unbelievable about Boise State is they did it for decades. They were a junior college team who moved their way up to Division Two. And then they dominated Division Two. They moved up to Division One AA. And then they dominated that. And then they moved up to Division One A in the WAC. They dominated that. And, you know, I have a lot of thoughts that are like going through my head. That's why I want to talk about more about Boise State, but I realize it's off topic. So I'm going to save it for another time. But I got to grow up watching a winning football culture. And it was beautiful. And I know people my brother's age who are on the team now, and they talk about the training like, it's been one summer for this kid that's at Boise and he's already put on like 20, 30 pounds of muscle. He looks like a freak now and he's getting first team reps and you watch him in like the OTAs cause I've seen the film and it's just like, he looks different than he did in high school already after one summer of training with like the limited training they have. And it's just, that's what, that's what good programs do. So, so. it's, it's basically accountability at the top. Like that's, that's, that's what it yes. sounds like. And that's what I would have assumed. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel yeah, that was like, a long-winded answer for that. But well, yes. well, yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> you gave us the the breakdown, and then I'm saying this is just a takeaway. You yeah, know what I'm saying. But I feel like a good athletic director, assuming they have that type of power, if they just simply give a damn, right? <laughs> like that to me, that's what it sounds like. You know, like that might be somebody else. That might not be everybody's definition of that, but. I couldn't be in that spot and like not care about yeah I care about like the on the field stuff but I gotta also shape my players I want to make sure they good yeah. like from a, a academic standpoint from a financial standpoint I need to make sure that level of comfort is up to standard I ain't gonna ba- like baby them or pamper them but it need to be yeah. up to standard you know what I'm saying so they could get done what I need them to get done sports medicine department I need to hold them like to a higher level. Like we don't want yeah. the, the Tyrod Taylor situation happening where the doctor is accidentally puncturing his lung. You know what I'm saying? Like you yes. need to hold these cats to, to a higher standard. And the systems that I was in, that wasn't the case. The every single department when I was in college operated independently. They did not communicate well with each other because they oftentimes had different information or would give you conflicting instructions where it's literally impossible to do both right if treatment at 4 30 and practice at 5 i can't like i can't do it like how i'm gonna get there 
You know what I'm saying? You need to come in early and allow me to do treatment at 3.30. Oh, well, I can't yeah. do that, blah, 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 blah. Can you do this time? Well, I got class right here. Well, you, you out of luck. Like, what? You can't work with me, bro? I have a class. And when yeah. I set this up, nobody told me that this slot needs to be left open for treatment. Like, if that information was given to me, then okay, cool. But, like, they, I find that they made it so damn difficult to get everything done that needed to be done it was just damn near impossible you know what i'm saying like it it wasn't impossible but it was it was so it was so inconvenient to the point where it's very easy for a college kid to just be like man forget this bro like you know what i'm saying like they they almost don't even want me to do it it's like i'm fighting against yep. them that's what it felt like versus being in a system that i felt like really had me on point and was pointing me in the right directions and so yeah, I think I think you pretty much put it on the head right there. Like I say, I've only experienced the losing side of it. So to hear how the good schools are doing it, it, it makes perfect sense. And it's pretty much the exact opposite within a losing culture. What you said about just communication. Yeah. Like when you said that at the beginning, I thought that was the word too. It, yeah. it goes right along with it. Going back to Boise State, I think one of the things they do right away is they show you and they tell you exactly how things are going to be. They have you on all the important stuff, the nutrition plans. They lay out exactly how your, your class schedule needs to be, and then they work with you and they adjust accordingly. And it's so on top of it. Everyone knows exactly what's going down. And that level of communication is so critical because I, I went to my college and there was a lot of athletes who struggled with like, there was no, there was, there was a lack of like, Hey, I have a class at this time. What's supposed to be going? Oh, you're not supposed to have class at that time, but this is the only time they have that class. Oh, well change your major. What? <laughs> change my major. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I, I know people like they would do engineering and it would be a tough major and they would tell them to just change to communications. And you're like, dude, I came to college for, to be an engineer. I'm a student athlete. And I think a lot of teams get caught up in, it's really athlete student. They put the athlete side first, they want the most out of your talent, and then they tell you to go to school and do the things. And they're not as concerned with how you do it. They're just like, yeah, get good grades and get it done on the side. And I think the, the good teams really adopt that mindset if you're just talking about college and they really care about helping you out. And it's like, when you're not doing well, good coaches, or good programs will look at you and, and, and have a sit down conversation and try to understand what's going on. Hey man, wait, why are you failing this class? What's going on? Are you, you going to class? That's all this stuff. I grew up in cultures like my football team where it was iron fist. It was so old school, which the, the coach who coached me in high school football was like a ninth grade legend when it came to football <laughs> because he was raw, raw. He's like, we're going to go punch them in the mouth and we're going <laughs> to kick their ass. Yeah, that yeah. kind of mindset. And that yeah. works for like for junior high, middle school. Right. But high school, there's another level of there. It's another level. You go up, you have to be better than what you were in junior high. And I think one of the issues with, and I look at myself is it's like, there's no room for weakness in a culture like that. And the problem with that is then losing is not accepted and you just get upset about it. You just say you have to win or else you're a loser. And it's like, that's not how sports work. Sports are always going to be someone on the scoreboard who has more points than the other team. 
but that's not what it's about. It's it's about how you bounce back from that. It's how you adjust. It's how you move on to the next thing or to the next game or to the next play. And just looking at personal experience, I, I had kind of like a losing mindset in my head where I would have a bad play and then I would be upset about it for multiple plays afterwards where yeah. it's like I dropped a pass and I can't stop thinking about it. Part of it's on me, but a lot of it came down to like the coaches getting so upset about little mistakes that you'd make. And it's not about like, hey, you ran that route like this, you need to run it. No, it's just like, hey, run it better. And that's that's one of the toxic sides of of football, at least, that, that I've experienced. Piss me off because I'm a you know that I'm a detailed yeah, I remember. <laughs> person. So like when a coach and this is the majority of my experience. And honestly, when I was younger, a lot of times it was just funny. Like I didn't take none of my coaches really serious. Like I, you know, we get cursed out as a team every day. <laughs> you know what I'm every mistake you're cursed out unless you're the guy. Like my senior year, I couldn't do nothing wrong, even though I was obviously doing a lot wrong. But yes. you know what I'm saying. But I couldn't do nothing wrong. But before that, I couldn't do nothing right, and I never could get a. a a solid answer as to exactly how do I do this? Because what I'm doing is, when I'm on the side, I'm in the front watching the dude in front of me. This is what he's doing, based on my interpretation. Unless there's something that I'm missing, like, you, I need that explained to me, bro. And when I asked these questions back then, I never could get an answer. Like I always get some bullshit, you know what I'm saying? Some yeah. some joke or some, oh, you ain't paying attention, or that's why you this or this. And like it's unbelievably frustrating when you're a person who is trying to understand it. And once I understand something, like I could break it down, I could like I got it forever. But like I need to know like the base, I need to know like how you put this together. What are you thinking on here? What is my goal on this play? If I'm, if I'm just a clear-out dude, I really need to know that. You know what I'm saying? Because if that's the case right. and I'm outside and the dude inside of me got an out route, I know I got to force outside regardless and just get my corner to turn and run with me so the out can be open. But if you're not yeah. giving me that, I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm dancing on the line all day. You know what I'm saying? It's like just basic information on how the play is supposed to work. But I honestly don't think those coaches ever spent a single second thinking about it and probably had no idea themselves. They were just giving us plays off Madden and like, yo, run this. <laughs> like I, that's legit how it felt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's how it felt. And like you never got a deeper explanation on nothing. And I understood that there should have been a deeper explanation because I'm watching, I'm watching like all the interviews and but I get so much information from random interviews, it's ridiculous. I'm watching like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like same. Jerry Rice or somebody just explain. And they, it might be like a three second clip, but I'll see like the concept, like they'll be like, okay, so the concept on this play, and when they explain it like that, it clicked for a person like me. Like that's I understand that. You know what I'm saying? Like right. have you seen um I think it's on the NFL's YouTube channel where they have uh, it's Brian Baldinger and Kurt Warner usually is on there, and they'll have like a player breaking down their own film. I forget. Um, the name I haven't seen players breaking down their own film, but I've seen players break down other players' film. Like okay, it, it's similar down. to that. it's a show. It's amazing. I watch every. It can be a lineman. I don't care because to know like what the concept is supposed to be, what they're thinking, why they doing what they doing, like that's. I love, right. bro, I love that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I watch every episode of it. I, even, I can't think of the name of it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, I just feel like coaches, especially when I was growing up, I always felt I was 
smarter than them dudes. And I always felt like I was never fully prepared for any big time situation. Anytime we ran up against a team where whatever our basic thing that we was doing, our plan A did not work, we got our ass beat. You know what I'm saying? If, the, if our plan A work, A, the talent can shine, we'll go off, we might blow somebody out, and we think we're world beaters until the next week when that team actually watches film and says, okay, we're going to keep a safety over the top of this cat. The quarterback never looks that way, so whatever. And, like, they just they really scheme us. We never had an answer. And then we just keep running the same plays and running the same. If you want it bad enough, it'll work, you know. Just <laughs> run through somebody. Like, yeah, you know exactly. And it's like, yo, that's that's like Bush League, bro. That's like little, little kid stuff. Dude, I can't tell you how many times, me at my size, right? I was 155, that my coach would yell at me for not running through a guy. <laughs> it would be like, you know when you, you run to the, like, the sidelines and you, got, you can get like one extra yard if you run into the guy, but you just run out of bounds? Yeah. Dude, I would get my face ripped off for not lowering my shoulder and just running through the guy for one extra yard, even though I got the first down. Yeah. Like, Karsten, run that guy over. Come stop, on. Stop thinking out there. Just do yeah. shit. <laughs> and they, when that kind of stuff makes you think more. Yeah. But I want to go back to the whole leadership thing. Okay. Obviously, having competent coaches is important. Yeah. But the flip side of that is accountability. Uh, yeah, accountability. You look at like that. You you told me once about your college coach being like showing up to practice late. Yeah. Being like, all right, you pieces of shit. Yeah. Let's like, and you're like, once, once a coach can't even be accountable, then you have no respect for them. Not only if you think you're smarter than them, it's bad, but if you can't respect them, it's over. That's it. That's it. Like if, if I can't, if I have no respect for you because. First off, I don't know. What are you doing? Like, that story, I don't know if I told it. I don't think I told it on here. But, no, uh, it was, that was a uh, while ago. All right, so look, here's who it is. Yeah. I'm going to say his name and everything because people actually know he's who this Cleveland is. Cleveland Browns. He's oh, does he work for, for y'all now? He's, he's coached for a lot yes. of different teams. I don't know where he was at. Stump Mitchell played in the NFL as a running back uh, and has coached. I've seen him coaching for like 100 different teams as like a running back coach or something like that. You know what I'm saying? He was my head coach my last year in college. He's actually the dude that um, kicked me off the team. But um, we were doing conditioning one morning, like 5 a.m. You know, I roll out of the bed with whatever, whatever chick spot I'm at and limp up to the damn place. But we get there, we warm up, and boom, we were going hard, bro. This was the year, my last year, they had moved me to tight end. So I'm running with the running backs and tight ends. I'm smoking everybody. Like, because I'm a receiver. I'm just a bit bigger than – most of them, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm yeah. smoking everybody. I'm loving these condition drills because my mindset has kind of switched back to where I was in high school, where it's like, I don't lose sprints. I don't never lose. Like, in this group, ain't nobody in this group that could see me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm on it. Like, I'm on their ass. And I felt so good, bro. I was working so hard. I was taking, like, 18 hours in the summer. You can only, like, technically take 12 hours in the summer. I had went and talked to two professors to, like, go to their classes, um, you know, dur- not during class hours, take tests and stuff like that. I'm trying to boost my GPA up. You know what I'm saying? I'm just grinding. I spend, I leave my room early in the morning. I'm not back in the room till at night. I'm in class all day. I go to practice. I go to – I'm just I'm, – I'm in that mode. College grind. College yeah. grind. This, and I'm, I'm finally taking it seriously. This dude show up an hour and a half late. All right, everybody bring it up. We in a group. He he walk out there. I'm reading the paper, and they say 
y'all gonna be last in the sweat. And I'm I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, we finna, he finna like really boost us up. He said, hey, you know what? They right. He was like, what? <laughs> y'all out here half-assing. You ain't running. You ain't doing this. I'm like, dog, you just fucking got here. You first up, you don't even have a clue what and like the the strength conditioning coach looking like, what? You know what I mean? But he ain't go, he can't say nothing. But he's sitting up there like, nah, they, they really, they really was getting it in this morning. But he just showed up. He was on one, probably hungover. And he just, he just tore us down. And from that day forward, like my, I went from being completely committed all the way in, ready to, to like really just do, do something special my senior year to like, and I was weak for this, by the way. I'm not proud of this, but like I checked out. I checked out mentally. After that, I completely checked out. And within the next week or two, I, w- I went to his office. We had a conversation. I cursed him out. He cursed me out. He kicked me off the team. And I never, like, my pride wouldn't let me. Because he was wrong. My pride would not let me just go back. All I had to do, you know, my position coach like, man, all you got to do, come talk to him, boom, boom, boom. Because they were ready for me to have a big year. Like, I'm a receiver playing tight end. I'm finna eat. Like, I'm really finna go crazy, but my pride, and I had other interests too anyway. So I just took it as a sign, like, okay, I ain't supposed to be out there. I'm gonna go head first into music, and I ain't never played football again after that, bro. But, like, that's, that's some terrible, terrible, terrible coaching. Weak on my yes. part, I could have swallowed my pride and just dealt with it. So I'll, I'll admit to that, but this was a grown-ass man. I was a college kid, you feel me? And so, really, he should have been a bigger man because and should have been more mature than me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's that's basically how it went down. It's crazy, man. And it starts with the top with coaching, and it's really hard to turn a locker room around when you have that kind of situation. Yeah. But to specifically kind of transition into like that locker room type of mindset. Specifically, I'm going to turn it to like just the Browns for me. Okay. And I look at. Uh, I look at, like, even I've been so wrong on this in the past. It's, like, not even funny. But you get caught up in, like, players and talent. And you go, oh, we have the talent or we have the guys that we need to win. Like, when Odell got traded to Cleveland and I was, like, like a giddy schoolgirl. You know, I was excited. And, oh, my gosh, we're going to be so much better because of this one player. Like, it's like I forgot. It's like I just totally just threw away everything I've ever learned about being in a locker room and being on a football team. It's like, no, that's not how football teams work. You don't acquire one talented player who plays on the outside of all places. Like not even in like where the real stuff happens in the middle, yeah. in the trenches. Yeah. And expecting that to change everything. It's hilarious that I thought that. And it's <laughs> hilarious that anyone would think that you like read comments on a team. It's like, we just got to get better players. Like, well, yeah, you probably get better players to get better, but, a culture like the Patriots is established through like a mindset that everyone adapts to. You get under one thing and you talk about like how hard it is to get like everyone onto the same page. It's like, okay, when it's just you, it's easy to get on like your own track. Like you do very well on your doing your own thing to get multiple people. Okay. It's a little more difficult, but it's like a team collaboration. You get one guy to lead and everything, whatever. But then you get 70, 80 dudes down to 53 (laughs) in a football locker room and people are going in and out. And it's like, how do you keep a culture that's like 
that has the pride of like the city and a, from a, a bunch of dudes who aren't even from that city. And how do you gra- gather that and put it into like this one cohesive unit? And don't forget the very vari- this one variable too from the NFL: billionaire at the top, bunch yes, of millionaires, dudes yes. just trying to feed their family. Like once you you throw that money in there with it. Like it, it become even more difficult. Sorry, I mean to interrupt yes. you, but no, no, that's that a perfect point. Yeah, and I, it, that's something that is interesting because some guys get money and they can't adjust to like, well, now I'm doing well. Like I played my whole life to get to this point, but now I'm making money and I made it. It's kind of like me with my college story. I just wanted to become a Division One athlete and I did it. So then I was I was content. And then there's other guys who want to become better and improve themselves, but they see those type of guys. I've never been in an NFL locker room. I'd love to hear thoughts on someone who has been just to get that kind of understanding more. But you like just looking at the Browns over time, and the one thing that all fans who've been watching for years know is that once you bring in a new regime and a new system, the issue isn't the play calling. It's not the schemes. It's not the talent. It's keeping a group of dudes together long enough to build a tradition of winning. And keep that consistent. And, you know, there's there's obviously like hurdles you want to get over. But the Bengals had such a better winning culture than the Browns over the last 20 years. They were consistently getting to the playoffs with, you know, Andy Dalton's good, not great. But they would consistently get there. Maybe they couldn't get over the hump so they're not as good as some of those other teams. And they had some issues. But the Browns can't get out of their own way because they start over and they're impatient. And there's no willing to build something. And so, you know, I think I think it's, there's a it's crazy. That's interesting. That, that's, it's an interesting cross section. And the reason I say this is because I think like y'all have one way of like uh, y'all have a losing culture. If we're looking at the last five, 10, 20 years. Right. Yes. And it's because y'all switch up all the time. Mm-hmm. The Bengals, I wouldn't say we have a winning culture, but but one thing that we do that winning cultures do is we don't switch up, right? Now, we almost do this to a fault. Like, even if a guy isn't performing, again, Marvin Lewis, we'll keep him for 10 years. He was the longest, second longest tenured coach in the league. And even though he's not reaching, like, the highest of highs, right? And if you look at somebody like the Steelers, I think they had, like, three coaches since the 70s, bro. Like, three coaches in 50 years, insane it's wild. <laughs> and every one of them won a super bowl <laughs> like at least one and so it's that's crazy. it's something that winning cultures do but for us i wonder if it's like is it motivated by the same thing that winning cultures are motivated by or is it motivated by apathy and us just eh, you know good enough is good enough right i think there is two sides to that that you can talk about i think you're right with the whole there's guys who come in and it's like, oh, I'll just take my paycheck. I'm going to the Browns. Like Dwayne Bowe. I might still pissed at that guy. It <laughs> felt like he was like, he just like saw the Browns as like the perfect like retirement home. Yeah. And he came in and he's like out of shape and he's like walking around like, yeah, we're going to put this thing together. And just like didn't even play. Like he hardly played. Like there was some stat. He had like every catch was worth a million dollars based on his contract. <laughs> Money Bowe. But- <laughs> you can count so many dudes who who have done that probably. Yeah. That it's ridiculous. And the thing that's so hard for losing cultures to overcome is there's so many pieces to it. Like you could step in and be the coach for the Steelers and you would have like 
somewhat of a stable like success right away. It's yeah. like a uh, Larry Coker with the with the Hurricanes, uh, Miami Hurricanes in the early two thousands. Yeah, he wasn't a good coach, but he stepped into a culture that was like developed on like these super talented players who were all bought into this and they were killing it. So he won a national title or whatever, got to a national title with that team, and they're considered amazing. Was he an amazing coach? Eh, mm, no, but there was everything else in place. So to flip that, you take a great coach who's confident, he's from the Patriots system or whatever the case may be, and he tries to go into, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I realize that there's a huge stat on that, but that's also part of it, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you take these coaches who are part of this winning culture and it seems so easy. It's like everything's so fluid. Everything's working. I can establish this. I'll just go oh, be that Belichick hard ass and go, and it's like, you try to do that in Cleveland, good luck. And you're like, wait a minute, it's, it's, not, it's not working. It's and not working. I was just a product of my environment. Like, yeah, Bill, Bill got me here. You know what I'm saying? He didn't teach me nothing. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I observed and I thought like I just got the surface of it though. I feel like that happened a lot with Patriots coaches, bro. They get the surface level. Bill's a hard ass. Okay, that's that's the sauce. That's the magic right yeah. there. I'm gonna go to the Lions. Be a hard ass. Boom, Super Bowl. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, Bill O'Brien. Uh. Yeah, exactly. You, <laughs> you look at him. He's trying to become that Belichick-esque guy. It's like, I'm the GM. I call the shots. I will send. Oh, Hopkins, this and that. I'll send you out of here. I don't Hopkins need you. Hopkins is like, Just like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, bro. it's like there's so many aspects to building a winning culture more than just being a hard ass or the players you bring in. It's like all the pieces it's so much harder said than done, right? That's why it, that's why no one can go into Cleveland, no matter how much of a wizard they are with call and plays. It just doesn't matter. There's there's so many things that you have to establish and be there for long enough. And that's why a lot of people go like, as long as said owner is in that place, you know, Redskins, Redskins Washington football team's owner or go. the Browns owner. And it's like when it starts from the top and they're like, this uh they have too much pride or they have this and that and they're not willing to stick it out like my team's gonna be better it's like uh the knicks yep so my team's better than this we do things this way it's like the best teams adapt and they bring in new things and they they, they know when to do things it's a complicated mess dude and all we can do is see what they're like growing in and we can eventually we can probably transition soon into like talking about you know week three's games and I just kind of going from there. I but. think as we as we start the transition, I just want to say because this is I guess related to week three's games, it is unbelievably frustrating, bro. It is so frustrating watching your team with the losing culture just make the same stupid mistakes. Oh, and, and like. I've been around people who never played sports before that will watch Tom Brady and say, man, dude, so unathletic, I can do that. And I'd be like, shut yeah. up, you fucking idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you sound stupid. But yeah. when I see how my team operates, I really, honest to God, I feel like if I ran the Bengals, I could do a better job, bro. Like, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And it's not because I'm going to be making every single little call it's because i will go and get people with proven track records who can make these calls in each spot you know what i'm saying like we don't even have a true gm we got a guy who we got an offensive line coach bro our offensive line hasn't developed in three years 
what are we doing? And you keep yeah. picking people that are your guys, but but they suck. You know, our, our defensive coordinator, what are you doing? I'm not saying we got the most talented defense in the league, but like your calls are being exposed. Why is yes. this dude wide open, bro? Bro, it was like 10 seconds left in the half. <laughs> it was like third down. We call some gimmick play where we show man and try to switch the zone. Dude, wide open up the sideline, dog. It's like, bro, all we had to do is play a safe defense. They kick a field goal. We win the game. But no, 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 no. You outcoach your damn self. And yep. it's like one thing that I will say about my head coach, um, I believe that he has principles and I believe that he follows them and I believe he a solid dude. I really do. I don't think he like, like I kind of think, and I don't know none of these people, this just is off what I'm seeing here, right? I think Matt Patricia is kind of a scumbag. I think Adam Gaze is kind of a scumbag. I really think Zach Taylor is a good guy. I think he's smart. I think he attempts to adapt. I just don't think he's a good head coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, or maybe he is a good head coach, but he's not a good play caller, right? All of the hats he's wearing right now, Something's falling through the cracks. We're losing too many close games. He's he hasn't won. Yeah. We've won like one close game out of like like what, twelve? You know what I'm saying? In the last two years. Like every time we have a close game, we lose. That's that's coaching. You know what I'm saying? So yes. it's just it's frustrating as a guy who I don't like to associate with losing, bro. Like I really hate like I hate losing. Like I'm super competitive. And when you gotta watch your team constantly just take these L's and you you feel like a loser. You got the stench of losing on you every week. That, that shit hurt, bro. It's hard to deal with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's so frustrating because most of the time when I take an L, and I take L's all the time, but I could do something about it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I could correct it. I could figure out what went wrong and I could fix it. And with, with my Bengals, it don't matter if I can figure out what's wrong because there's nothing I can do about it. And it's no. just, it's the hardest thing, dog. The hardest thing. I have, I have two things to say. One thing is I heard a quote, I was watching something, and it was about critics are actually the greatest optimists when it comes to like caring about something. Mm. Because you look at, let's say you're the biggest critic of the Bengals. Yeah. Well, you're seeing all the flaws because you know how they can be better. There's so many Browns fans after this last game. They're going, who cares that it was Washington and their quarterback? Was like, who cares? We won. And it's like, look, at some point in time, I have been that fan because I just wanted to win so bad. Yeah. But I am not going to accept loser mentality. And it doesn't matter what the record is. It's like it's changes that you need to make to continue to win down the road. Right. And – you know, the, the second thing I wanted to bring up before I talk about the Browns, because I want to, is you were talking about Tom Brady and people go, he throws dump off routes. He throws it to his running back. He's not even that good. He's a system quarterback. Yeah. Tom Brady is a winner. And it's not because he knows how to throw the out route and he knows how to throw the slant route and he knows he's like smart in that sense. Yeah. Yes, he's smart in that sense. But it's what he does off the field. It's what he does in preparation. It's how he gets the other guys involved and tells them. Like, did you see the NFL's mic'd up moments of the of the preseason? No. So there's this clip where the Tampa Bay guy is like, all right, guys, like, good practice today. Let's break it up. It's like the tight end or something. 
It's like, good practice today, uh, team on three, one, two, three, team. And right as they break, Tom Brady gets in his face and he's like, what was that? That was the most half-ass thing I've ever seen. You think we're going to win games being that like that? And he's just in his face, like dead serious. Yeah. You got this 40-something-year-old man who came <laughs> over here and he's like, I'm not taking that shit. Yeah. I'm here to win and if you're not going to be part of it, I'll get your ass out of here. Yeah. And that's the mentality that he has. And I think as long as he's been in the league, he's had that mentality where he's like throwing it to his running back and he drops it. And he's like, I won't accept that. Here's how it needs to be done. So he is literally a coach on the field and a coach off the field. Like when the Patriots used to train in the offseason, they'd fly to some random like Montana with all the receivers and, and running backs and they'd stay in some cabin. And it's like, that's the level of care that that dude has. He cares so much about that stuff. And he cares about getting all the guys on the same page, not just his individual accolades. And that's what I, I just see the greatness in him so much with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I started to recognize that as I got older. Like, when I was younger, I kind of did have that same, like, ah, oh, Brady overrated, ah, oh, they, you know, they, you know, if you put this person over here, they could do this. And then the older I get and, like, the more patterns, like, you start to recognize patterns. And I see all these hot shots come, come and go, not be able to win, and I started to recognize the similarities in the catch that just keep winning. They've been winning my whole damn life. Right, it's something about those dudes, and you have to like take a step back. You don't need to be a fan of their team to look at what they do. Like Kobe Bryant was like one of the best examples. Like I still like I listen. Matter of fact, bro, I listened to a Kobe Bryant uh, like a motivation video yesterday after the Bengals lost, mind you, right? Like I lost, you know what I'm saying? And I literally, I literally, I listened to it, and it it picked me up, bro. Like it picked me up, and I made a video. Right, I went from <laughs> in my room just down. I was so mad. I mean, we we tied the game. We lost. Right, the losses hurt. I mean, ties ties are just as it's bad. the same. Or if not worse, it's like weird. But yeah. anyway, so and it picked me up like to a point where I literally got something productively done. That today's me is so happy that yesterday's me did it because I would have had to been up at like four a.m. this morning figuring out a video. I was able to get it done, you know, get it done yesterday. And just, like, that mindset and what it does for you. Man, I can't think of the name of this book. Like, it's this book I read. Uh, it's it's Michael Jordan's trainer that wrote the book. He trained um, Dwayne Wade and a couple other people, too. I think it's un- – Wait, re- Relentless? Relentless. I bought that book on Amazon a week ago. Dog. Every every person <laughs> should it up yesterday. every person should read. I own it. I own it on Audible. I'm gonna probably go re-listen to it. Every person should own that book, bro, because he just break down like he's so close to these super high achieving athletes, and you kind of get to get into the mind of those guys from their trainers specifically, right? They calling him at 4 a.m. I gotta get a workout in. I, I got, you know what I'm saying? And it it just kind of reprogram your brain. To, to understand that if you want to be one of these type of cats or even anywhere close, you know what I'm saying? This is what you this is what you need to do. Or it can also just kind of redirect you, especially if you're feeling sorry for yourself or you're bitching or whatever like that. When you see what some other people are willing to put in, you be like, well, that's why I ain't winning. If they willing to do this and I ain't willing to do half of that, how can I expect to win? <laughs> you feel me? So yeah. that Relentless, bro, that's a good book. And as far as like the... Um, the sports cultures and stuff we was talking about. There's a business book that I would, 
if I was an athletic director, this would be mandatory reading for any person I hire, any coach, any trainer. You got to read Principles by Ray Dalio. You know what I'm saying? And it's in that book, he basically break down like how a successful business got to have certain like principles in place so you know how you operate. So you hold yourself to a certain standard. The result is the result. Like that's whatever. You could do great by not following principles for principles for a small period of time, but you're not going to have sustained success. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so them two books, bro, Relentless and Principles. Bro, check them out, man. We got to get a damn Audible sponsorship, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, dude. You, I mean, you're a reader. You've read a lot more books than me. I'm just starting to get into reading books. I read like, I've read like six books in the last like 10 years. That's about how many I had read when I was your age, bro. So I I'm bad. trying to, honestly, you, me and you talking about books has got me to want to read more. And so that's, it's like part of that kind of mindset where it's like, I want to get more of that killer instinct back that I've had in the past. Yeah. And that's why I, I bought that book on Amazon. I was just looking for, to help my mentality. And it's like going back to like me wanting to track, to, to train for track again. Yeah. I got that book to kind of like reestablish yeah. whatever it needs, yeah. what, it, what it takes. Yep. It's not just, oh, I got to go do a workout today. It's like, it's so much more than that. Thanks. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's so funny. That's sure. sure. perfect coincidence. <laughs> but anyways, do you want to transition now talking about what happened? Week yeah, we, we're going to transition real quick. We're going to let me take a break real quick. I need to run to the restroom. And then that's fine. We'll That's come fine. back in and we'll finish it up. I, well, speaking of winning cultures, okay. I'm trying to watch the Browns establish it. And there's some things that I'm seeing that give me hope. But there's there's some issues. Okay. Obviously. Like with anything, it's not going to – you don't build Rome in three games. Facts. What I'm – I guess what I'm concerned about is it seems like the Browns keep – going away from the identity that's just so obvious with the running backs they have. It seems like they get away from that and they get too cute with it. Yeah. And it's like they play with fire every time. It's like they could put that team away in like a second if they just ran the ball consistently and then play action off that. That's not what they came out doing. It's like it's not even the same thing that I saw against uh, Cincinnati that worked. And so the the, the scary part was Washington with – a bad quarterback controlled most of that game. And they had about the same amount of yards as the Browns. I don't I didn't even look at the stat sheet after, but through three quarters they had more yards. And if it wasn't for Dwayne Haskins poor throwing like just he he had some good throws, but he threw three bad interceptions. Yeah. Three bad interceptions that the Browns capitalized off of, which is what good teams do. Yep. But it's not you don't play the worst ranked QBR quarterback every week. You don't play a rookie Joe Burrow with a bad O-line every week. Right. Like, we got some dogs coming up. We have Dak Prescott and their, how well they their passing game is going. Yeah. There's Phillip Rivers and the Colts. There's obviously the Steelers, Big Ben's back. And it's like, the, the Browns defense is going to struggle right now with everything going on. But it just is concerning to me that they could get kind of controlled by a team like Washington as easily as it happened. But to flip it on the bright side and building a winning culture, it is back-to-back games that the fourth quarter was was comfortably like like the Browns did what they had to do to get the dub. Yeah, against the Bengals, they put the drive together to kind of seal the deal, mm-hmm. and against the the Redskins or the football team, the they did this. 
they did the same thing where they capitalized off turnovers, they put drives together when they needed to, and got to their identity with running the ball and like chewing up clock and scoring touchdowns late in the fourth. And obviously, like Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett, like he has three strip sacks now and like two game wrecking strip sacks. Did you see his his uh, the, the one he had yesterday? I didn't. The strip. I sack? saw some of the picks that Haskins threw, but I didn't see. Yeah, I heard about it, but so, I didn't see it. What's what's so special? I just want to take a moment on Miles Garrett. What's so awesome about him is it's like he makes a big impact throughout the game. He's hard to block, but by the fourth quarter, that le- that left tackle is so tired <laughs> yeah. that he gets that one burst off, and it's like it's like a free run at the quarterback, and he just has that swim move down to to swipe the ball. Yeah, and he rips Haskins, and Haskins like tosses the ball up and it bounces off like uh, Miles, and so Miles strips him and catches the ball after juggling it. And goes to the ground with the ball. So it's like the ultimate strip sack. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like the nail in the coffin that the Browns took advantage of and closed that game. But I I just, I didn't feel good after, I felt good. I didn't feel great after the win. Right. And to say that after being over 500 for the first time in six years and scoring back-to-back 30-plus games in the, for the first time in a decade... I feel like I should feel better, but I know what this team is capable of, and I've already seen it in brief spurts. Yeah. Now it's just continuing that, and then when you go against good teams, just like continue to capitalize off the other team's mistakes, like they have been, and just really stick into their identity on offense. Because if they don't do that, Dallas is going to run run up. They're going to score 30, 40 points on the Browns' defense. Like I just have zero confidence right now. Yeah. So that's to, this week is the first test in my mind of like this kind of let's see what they're made of. They got their asses kicked in week one. They played two teams who are struggling week two and three. This is the challenge. Can you go into Dallas against that high octane offense and be, be in the game or win the game? Can can you do it? Can it's you a high close another game? game? Like it's the it's I'm finally the challenge. Super curious, you know. Because I've been saying yeah, the same thing about y'all since week one. Like, yep. I, y'all got it, but it's like y'all, the personalities that y'all have don't necessarily fit the team's actual strengths. And unless they can buy in and the coaching staff can, like, feel confident that they've bought in and called the damn running, run the run the ball, bro. Just, you got to do it. You know what I'm saying? I almost feel like, bro, and people were saying this, and this might sound rash or whatever. Like, I feel like y'all trading Odell is probably the best move. Like, I really do feel like that for, like, playoff success. Like, I don't I don't have a whole lot of confidence that Odell is going to be cool with y'all playing to y'all's actual strengths for the majority of games. Like, I really – I still don't feel confident in that. I I disagree. And I think I think like the the insecurities of how I feel about the Browns in the past, I would have agreed with you and been like, yeah, he's an issue. I probably would have said it after week one. But the truth is, I think the Browns are going to be able to establish a well balanced attack. I don't know if it's going to happen right now. I don't know if it, when it's going to happen. But they have the pieces there to eventually get to that point. I, agree I listened with that. to this one Browns uh, media dude who was talking, and he's like. Big Ben did not throw the ball a lot in his first few years. They kind of kept him under wraps. They ran the ball. They had good defense. And he didn't really open up for a while. Mm -hmm. 
And I think is if you can take that step back with Baker and teach him how to play within the system and then use his strengths, yeah, those guys will become more of a focal point in the offense, Jarvis and, and Odell. Right now, I think Odell is actually a major part of the offense, and it's not showing up in the stat sheet because he's running deep routes, pulling guys with them. He's he's doing all the stuff, and it's like the running lanes are opening up more. Other guys are getting open across the middle. It's opening up the plays, and I get it. Like, yeah, he's going to be upset if he's not getting the ball, but I think it comes with time because you can't just throw the ball at Odell over and over and build an offense around, okay, Odell, you're going to get your 10 to 15 targets, and then we'll work from there. I agree and I with think what they understand you're that. Like I agree with everything. Like you see it exactly the way I see it. And I think okay. Odell's role in y'all in y'all's offense like you say is key. I think it's damn near perfect from like a skill set standpoint. My thing is from a personality standpoint is he okay with playing that role? He's great in that role. He's amazing. Like y'all got one of the scariest receivers. So every time Baker, you know what I'm saying, do the little play action, any any little thing, you have to commit attention to Odell. It opens yes. up the run game even further. Like, I understand that from a, the foot, the straight-up football standpoint. It makes perfect sense. It's a perfect fit. My thing is I just don't – I don't see y'all leaning – and you just, you just admitted to it. I don't see y'all leaning all the way into y'all strengths, and I think that's because – Y'all know that if he not getting them targets, that he he not going to necessarily be happy with that. See, the difference between Ben Roethlisberger and Baker is, like you said, when Ben Roethlisberger came in, he came into a winning culture, and he wasn't throwing a whole lot from jump, and they was winning. It wasn't like that with Baker. He came into a losing culture, and he was seen as the savior, and he let that thing rip you know, early on. Now you're asking him to pull it back. Is he okay with that? That is the thing. If he if he is and he can be like over some some time, then bro, like y'all y'all got it. Like you said, from a talent standpoint and from like all the pieces, like I mean, you know y'all y'all got a lot of high draft picks like in in that team like in key positions, yeah. and y'all damn sure got it. It's there. The question is, can the culture? Can that, that culture that y'all have shift into a winning culture enough for all of these people to buy into their roles? Or will they kind of take the, the losing culture mentality and say, hey, I need to shine. You feel me? Like, which one takes over? It's, it's interesting as hell from, like, an outsider standpoint. If it was yes. my team, I'd probably just be super concerned. But, like, from for me, because I got nothing to gain or lose from it, I'm looking at it and I'm just I'm intrigued. You know what I'm saying? And that and I knew that question wasn't going to be answered playing us and Washington. Um, but like you said, y'all got these tests coming up in these next few weeks. And I think, you know, we'll start to get better and better answers. Like, I want to see what y'all look like yeah. against the Cowboys. Like, that's a, that's a big game. That's a big game yeah. for y'all. Last thing I want to say, and then we can turn it over to you to talk about your game. Okay. <laughs> um, but I – I'm optimistic because I think I saw a shift in Odell from a personality standpoint uh, when it came to like, he was very frustrated in New York for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But I don't think they have a winning culture mindset. And he went to a college that had a winning culture mindset. That's true. So like a lot of guys who come into the league, 
they love getting the ball or they love making plays, but they love winning and being part of that culture more yeah, you might than be right. anything. And what I've noticed from Odell listening to interviews, and obviously people, if he's lying through his teeth, then he got me. But hearing him talk about being in the city of Cleveland and like his role with everything and how things are going to go, just how he says it, it makes me feel confident that he understands what it's going to take. I think there was a certain hype aspect that everyone got too caught up in last year mm-hmm. that everyone kind of has settled down and gone, okay, this, you don't, you don't do this. You don't build this Pittsburgh Steelers in a day. Right. You don't build it over hype. Right. So we're going to build this thing the right way. It's going to take a little time, but if it works, then Odell and Jarvis and all these guys are going to become those like the Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne of this team. And it's like, do you want to hold out for that? And there's some, there's a promised thing at the end of the road if we do this the right way. Or do you want to try again, probably get traded to a bad team who might be in a worse situation than us, and it becomes like it's all you again, and if you don't perform, then we're all going to blame you. It's like, would you rather take that risk at this point or help us build this culture and become one of those guys? And I think they're buying into that. I really do. And that could be the blind optimist in me. But from what I've heard and seen from from interviews and all that kind of stuff, it just seems like there's a different mindset. Like even in Baker, like the look in Baker's eye compared to last year is night and day in my opinion. And it's something that I respect and I feel comfortable with moving forward. Doesn't mean they're going to be a top tier playoff team this year or anything like that. I don't know. But I feel good about the future with it when it comes to the mindset of a lot of the star players on the team. You make a great point. That that college point is a great point because he wasn't the man guy at LSU. You know what I'm saying? And he loved LSU and he never had no problems yep. at LSU. So that is a good point. Like, I actually – I didn't think about that. But, um, yeah, right. fair point. Fair point. And last – okay, very last thing. Yeah. He's got his boy Jarvis – and they played in that system that was a run-first system in LSU. Yep. You're talking about, like, establishing more of that kind of thing. That's where they had more fun anyway. Like, they enjoyed that more than, like, going to Miami and being the reception leader in the NFL but playing with a bunch of dudes who don't care, like you talk about. Or being in New York and it's all about you, but everyone else is like, screw you, we don't, like, whatever. I think they don't like that. I think they got a taste of that glory and realize that getting that taste of that glory without the winning culture is way worse. That's that's how I see it. I agree with you. I think, yeah, you you sway my opinion because the that, that LSU point, I keep going back to that. I mean, I lived in Baton Rouge at that time, and Jar- Jarvis was probably a bigger deal than Odell for most of the time they was there. And I uh, remember he had that crazy catch, that, that crazy one-hand catch in the back of the end zone. Yeah. I remember him being a bigger deal too, and yeah. I wasn't from there. Yeah. And like you said, they was perfectly cool with that. So, yeah, maybe it is all about winning. That's a good point. Um, as far as my team. All right. <laughs> Let's hear this. I mean, it's hard. Like, I don't even know where to start, bro. I don't know where to start. Let, let me start here. Joe Burrow is obviously the truth. I've known this yes. for a long time. So, it's I don't come on here and when I talk about my team, I don't really talk about Joe Burrow a whole lot because he's done That's every figured out. single thing that he's supposed to do. He's the guy, okay? My fear is, and like after three games I'm here, like, you know, I don't trust my organization. Like when I was watching a game, that's what I kept thinking. I kept thinking, I don't trust him here. 
And then I'll feel bad for her. And I'll be like, no, they haven't earned it. They haven't earned any trust from me. I'm like, can they? Like, I'm always optimistic coming into the season, but I'm also not a person who's going to look at it and, like, lie to myself. Like, once I can see it, I, I know what I'm looking at. All right, so here's what I'm looking at. The offensive line is obviously atrocious. There's, like, two super weak spots, and then the other spots are okay, but there's no... You know, it's not like it's nobody on the line that's like a superstar at this point, right? It's so bad to the point where, like, the answers are not on the team. They're not there. The other thing is, though, my coaching staff, I'm looking at them dudes all kinds of sideways. Bro, there was a play where um, our tight end, our rookie tight end, that was his second year, second year tight end, was lined up against the Eagles' best pass rusher, and he was standing up. On a third and seven. All right. Obviously, he got a sack because he's standing up. The end is here. I'm like, what? Who called that? Why? What are we running? <laughs> like, it's stuff like that that make me question these cats. We ran the same sprint out play like three times on third down. It didn't work either time. Right. So the play calls, bro, and like the, the way we coming into the game and the plans, it ain't working. Last year, we made a second half adjustment. Like in the second half of the season, we changed everything we was doing and we was way better. So that gave me hope. Like, okay, this coaching staff adjust and blah, blah, blah. But they're just too damn slow. Okay? Joe Burrow getting hit way too much. I ain't panic after I didn't panic after one game. I ain't panic after two. But after three games, we just played the Eagles. Like the Eagles not like that. Okay? It ain't like we ain't played Joey Bosa and, and Ingram. We ain't played the Browns and Miles Garrett. We played the Eagles. You know what I'm saying? Everybody hurt. Like, they they not like that. They got like eight sacks. You know what I'm saying? And that, that's just a problem for me because you got this player, and if we not doing everything we can to protect this cat, then honestly, we don't even deserve to have him on the squad. You know? So I'm looking at it, and I'm getting pissed off because I'm just like, all right, so when we gonna trade one of these receivers? When we gonna trade John Raw? What he doing? Get get rid of him. I don't care what you get for him. Get get rid of him, bro. Trade like you gotta make some moves because the most important thing right now is protect Joe Burrow. I don't care if we got fifty receivers if he got one second to try to look at them and throw the ball. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. The team is too unbalanced, and if one or two little injuries that we're dealing with, everybody dealing with injuries. Like, I'm done with the injury thing. If one or two little injuries make us go 0 and fucking 18, more games is even in the season, <laughs> then yes. the team is trash, right? Like, <laughs> the team is is poorly constructed if one or two injuries derails the entire season, other than, like, a quarterback, obviously. But, like, so I'm looking at it, bro, and I'm just – I'm very disappointed, bro. I'm upset. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm mad. Like, I got beef with my squad right now because I just feel like we're really not doing everything that, that we could do to, to really make the best out of this. And I watched us. In the offseason, I watched linemen come available. I saw us do nothing. And I was like, what, are, what the hell are they seeing? Like, are they seeing, like, our guys that we already have, who admittedly most of them are super young, are they seeing them really develop that much? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm going to back off because I'm not seeing everything they're seeing. I ain't got all the information. 
I'm going to wait before I judge. But now mm-hmm. I didn't seen it. So I could judge for myself. And, bro, if they looked at our offensive line and thought that was adequate and didn't make no damn moves in the offseason, then they're, they obviously can't evaluate talent. You know what I'm saying? So I got an issue with that, bro. My, I'm, I'm still iffy on my head coach. I don't think he should call the plays if we're going to keep him there as the head coach. I like his temperament. I really do. I think he yeah. does install instill some confidence like from the team. Like I think they they like him. I think they they trust him, but it's probably starting to slip now because it's like, all right, this is year two. We still ain't winning no games. We still ain't winning no close games, and we still having too many like botched situations that I'm gonna blame on coaching, you know. And so, but Jim Turner, our offensive line coach, get him out. He gotta go. He gotta go. Our defensive coordinator. He got to go. Like, and I think we should allow – we should either hire or a, another offensive coordinator or allow the offensive – let me see what the offensive coordinator got because Zach Taylor, when it comes to calling plays, I don't think he's very good at it. You know what I'm saying? He's not like, He's not very good at it. So yeah. there's adjustments that need to, be, need to be made, and if we don't make them <clears throat> and we move at the same pace that we normally move at, you know, Joe Burrow going to have some, some major issues. Now, about him – He's done, bro. He's played so amazing, like despite, despite despite what what he's having to deal with right now, and it ain't even fair, really, to ask him to do this. And we've made so many questionable moves that in the off season, I like, I saw it, I ain't like it, but I always wait, right? Cause I don't like to jump the gun on nothing. But now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all right, now I'm questioning everything because we're o two and one, so I, I got questioned about everything. Why wouldn't you bring in a veteran quarterback? Just because he can handle it by himself don't mean he should have to. Yeah. Like, it's stupid. Like, I just can't I can't understand, like, why you don't make that move. It seemed so basic. There was veteran quarterbacks out there. They're cheap. Bring them in. It's just for him to have somebody to lean on. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so, right now, bro, I feel like things are going very bad. I don't feel like we're moving in the direction that I want to move in at the pace that I want to move there. And um, I'm going to need to see, I'm going to need to see like some major changes in the next two to three weeks, or I'm going to just be bashing my squad all year and not my players, bro. Like, look, the offensive line is bad, you know, and that's not me bashing them. They're just not, good as a unit that's it's obvious right they, they're, they're bad um i think the defense is actually better than what we see i think the schemes are pretty terrible we, we committed to this stupid ass five two bro run the four three bro just a true like all this hybrid it ain't working every team we play running for 150 yards like <laughs> it's not working you know what I'm saying? If we can't stop the run, we obviously cannot win. We're okay against the pass. We're really not too bad against the pass. You know what I'm saying? But our run defense is atrocious. And it's like the most basic stuff. We can't stop the run. We can't protect the quarterback. We can't run the ball because the offensive line is trash. So these basic, basic, basic pillars of the game is where we suck. And because of that, we're going to lose every game because there's no team we're going to play that's not going to come in and say, I can't stop the run. Let's just run it. 
Like, it's really yeah. simple. Just turn around and hand it to the running back. He's going to average 8 to 12 yards per carry. That's an easy win. But Carson Wentz drop back to throw, are we picking that off? Because we, like, my pass defense is straight. Like, you know, so we play a lot of man, so we make some mistakes and X, Y, Z. But, you know, we'll force some turnovers. Pass defense is okay. Uh, but if you can't stop the run and you can't block, you know what I'm saying? Like, a play can't develop. You can't run the ball. You're going to lose. Like, it's almost impossible to win like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I only watched, like, the fourth quarter of that game. I obviously saw the game against the Browns. And what I'm worried about from an outsider perspective is the fact that they didn't have the veteran quarterback in the beginning that is going to take the brunt of what was – like, clearly they understood their weaknesses, or they should have, before the season started. And so now you have already thrown your rookie quarterback out there. Whether or not he's playing good doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're throwing him out of the, out there to get decapitated every game. And the problem with that is once you don't trust everything around you, it's like what happened to Baker in 2019, which is you start not trusting yourself at some point. You're like, I had all this confidence at one point, like Joe, Joe's cool, but how long can you stay cool when you're getting rocked eight times a game or more? Yeah. And so I've seen it countless times in Cleveland. You bring in the quarterback, they're confident, they play well at the beginning, but then things start breaking down and it's a long enough stretch of things going bad that they lose their confidence. And that's so hard to regain as a quarterback. Hopefully, hopefully that they can overcome that, but it's at the point now where it's like, what happens happens with it's that like, situation. It's so I'm so desperate in the situation. I feel like if we can't pull off a trade to to significantly upgrade the offensive line, and the only reason we shouldn't be able to if there's just none available for a trade. That's the only reason because yeah. we got enough pieces and enough stuff to move. I don't care what you move, just move it. You feel me? I really, I truly, and I'm dead ass serious. Like I, I don't care who you trade. Get a tackle. And a guard in the building, bro. Like, do it now. And if you can't do it, low key, Joe need to come up with a phantom injury and sit out the rest of the goddamn season. Like, yes. real talk. Like, because and just red shirt. Because if you don't, like you say, you you run the risk of so many things. Like the mental side of it, the physical side of it. You know what I'm saying? Of getting banged up every damn game. And, uh, you know, we're the Bengals, so the refs ain't going to protect you. They don't give a fuck. Like, dude got hit late as hell, like, three times. We got maybe one flag. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. it's a, it's it's a bad situation, bro. It's a real bad situation. Um, I admit it's way worse than I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought I was going to see more, like, a better um, improvement. And, and the biggest two problems is the right side of the line. It's Bobby Hart. He's horrible. And whoever we put at right guard, we had uh, Fred Johnson there. Dude is like a tweener. He's he's yeah. really a tackle. And then Billy Price, who, again, and it's not like we haven't tried to rectify this. We drafted Billy Price. That's a first-round pick a few years ago. Here's the issue. And here's why I'm questioning the coaching staff. It's like, so we, so we can't evaluate talent. Because we drafted like three offensive linemen in the first round within the last six years. No, none of them start for us. Yeah. So that's that's. I don't even say that's the problem. It's hella problem. But that's like, 
you know what I'm saying, bro? It's it's one of the things that I don't know if they could fix it. And that's why I say, like, I really feel like no cap, I could run the Bengals better. Like, no cap. Like, I really feel like I could. Like, dead ass. Like, off of my yeah. my YouTube fucking chair, I feel like I could get up, <laughs> fly to Cincinnati, and have a better team on the field by midseason. You know what I'm saying? It's where even if we ain't winning, at least my quarterback ain't going to take a pounding. Because I don't care what I had to trade at this point. I really don't. Like, especially these veteran players, bro. We couldn't beat the Eagles. Once we lost that game, I was like, all right, that's the season. Now it's time to build. So all these veterans, if we can move them, we got to move them. Because they ain't going to be here by the time we get decent anyway. And this year is pretty much lost. If we can't beat the Eagles, we can't beat nobody. And I didn't a shot at the Eagles, but their whole team is hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they ain't playing good. You know what I'm saying? So and we easily should have won that game. Like that was yeah. the coaches blew the damn game. You know what I'm saying? They they really yeah. did. And, you know, we we not in a we not in a good place. I get a little nervous hearing you say that because it's like it's like a flashback to twenty fifteen for me when the Browns just underperformed so badly and they went Get rid of all the veterans. We're going to build cap space. We're going to go get players, and we're going to rebuild this thing. Yeah. That's when they went into that 1-31 stretch where they didn't have an identity, and they struggled to do anything, and they couldn't win games. And, and that's what happens when you get the veterans out and you try to bring in new faces to come help it out. Like, you can't fix the old line in a, in a series of trades. It takes time, and that's what's so scary about it because I was in that same boat in, like, 2017. And it's just now we're finally seeing the results of the cap space and the time put in being so bad. It's like that's how long it's taken for the Browns. And it's like once you start getting rid of that kind of thing, you're admitting to the rebuild. I just that's, that's scary. I just feel like, like I'm not saying we need to have an elite offensive line in three weeks. What I'm saying is there's two dudes on the line who can't block for shit. Get them out, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and get somebody else in who is competent. We're still not gonna have a great offensive line, but what yeah. I'm but what I'm seeing every week is dudes. I'm seeing like a number one pick defensive end not get touched, just rushing off the end. Like that can't happen, you know what yeah. I'm saying. Yesterday, both ends got off at the same time. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. What are we doing? And so it's just like, I don't know, man. It's it's the day after the game, so I'm probably, like, still super emotional. Yeah, a little, I was, pretty, I was yes. pretty pissed off. Like, I'm still very pissed off about this one. Like, I ain't take this one well, bro. I really did not. Well, okay. We've talked a lot about it, and I understand where you're at. Hopefully they can come up with something to mitigate the damage that Burrow's taken, yeah. all the hits and everything. But so I think we both agreed that we didn't get a lot of time to kind of evaluate other games. Yeah. And I think a good way to wrap this up is to talk about tonight's game, which when this goes up, it's going to already have happened. So we can just give our quick predictions of what we think is going to happen. Chiefs, Ravens. Okay. Just a quick prediction, and then we can look back and see how that went. I got the Chiefs. Okay. I got the Chiefs because and I I'm a big fan of both of these teams, but <clears throat> I got the Chiefs because I saw what the Texans did to Baltimore. And the Texans defense ain't that good, but their coordinator is smart as hell. And he he really made Lamar like human. 
And if the Chiefs can kind of follow that pattern, because it's out there now, right? Now, Lamar might come out this week. They also get the same film, and they might make every adjustment, and it might not matter, right? But if it does, and they're able to slow Lamar down that same way, um, Deshaun Watson ain't got no receivers. Patrick Mahomes do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they're going to obviously be able to put up a lot like more points than, than the Texans was able to do. And um, I, I think I think they're going to be able to pull it out. Bro. The Chiefs have pretty much no offensive weaknesses. Their defense is better than it was. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Chiefs, man. Um, I think it was going to be Give a Give me a score. Game, but I'm gonna go Give me a the score. Chiefs. Oh, my God. Uh, let's go. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, man. I'm going to go... 35 to 27 Chiefs. That was really close to what I was going to say. I, I can't disagree with you. I, I just see both offenses not really being slowed down, but I see the Chiefs offense being more unstoppable than the Ravens. I think Lamar would have to play really out of his mind to overcome what Mahomes is going to do to the Ravens defense. So unless they put up 40-ish points, I think the Chiefs will take it 35. 35, I, don't, I was going to say 35, 28, but that's so close to yours. So I'm just going to go, ah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 38, 31. Okay. I think it, it could be potential to be that kind of shootout. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's, we'll that's see. about what I'm expecting. That's about what I'm expecting. It'll be a good game. I, though. I can't wait. Yeah. I know. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Get my stuff done today and then. Get ready to watch that. All right, y'all. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up, bro. Um, Thank y'all for watching. This was episode four of Sports Therapy. Uh, Don't forget, man, subscribe to the YouTube channel every Tuesday. This thing is going to go live on Tuesday afternoons. So make sure you're checking that out. Check us out on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Y'all already know know the routine. Other than that, though, we're going to let y'all next time. Peace. All right. All right, cool.